Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ed Krasnick. My co-host, a licensed therapist, Jennifer Kalari, will be coming up in just a minute. And on this show, uh, we're going to talk about movies and mental health, how movies relate to your mental health. And we're going to do that with two of my very good friends, lucky to have them, both really talented comics, writers, performers, Kathy Ladman and Sue Kalinske. That's coming up a little later. Uh, We also are going to do some questions and answers, some listener questions and uh, some answers from Jennifer, things that we haven't uh, done before. We're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about self-parenting. We're going to talk about, again, about the difference between being kind and being nice and how to navigate difficult friendships. All of those kind of things are coming up on the show. Um, I want to talk about movies because they've had such a big place in my mental health. It really was the sanctuary for me as a kid. Movie moments that affect what you think and how you feel and your perspective. And of course, a lot of these moments stayed with me. The movies was one of the places that I felt okay. Otherwise, I was driving myself insane. Didn't know that feelings don't make you a bad person. So as a kid and a teenager, I had a headache most of most of the time, about 24 hours a day. But there was one place, as a kid especially, we had an old summer house that was between Boston and Cape Cod in a town called Nantasket Beach, about 20 miles south of Boston. And um, it was a working class, middle class summer town. And you knew you were there... Because as soon as you came around a corner, you began to see the tip of a wooden roller coaster, huge wooden roller coaster, and the ocean behind it. And it was an old amusement park called Paragon Park, and we spent a lot of time there in this this summer town. We lived on an Alphabet Street, 29S Street, but the drugstore and the baseball field was at L Street. And on the edge of that field was a place called the Bayside Movie House. Maybe it was even a house. I'm not sure. It looked like a house. In the front of the gray stucco building, there were two big movie posters on street level. And I would stand in front of them and just look up and imagine what these movies were. To Sir with Love, the Russians are coming. It's a mad, mad world. Behind it, and, and, and then also outside, on the bottom level was uh, a roll-top concession stand, like a window that they would roll up. And you get your goobers and your raisinets and your Reese's Cups and your Pixie Sticks, your Milk Duds, your candy buttons on the strips of paper. It was fiber in those days. You put them all in your mouth, you look like a gerbil going up the stairs and down the stairs into a 75-seat maroon velvet movie theater palace. They had 50-cent rainy day matinees for kids. 50 cents would get you in to see a Don Knotts film retrospective. Goes to Mr. Chicken, Reluctant Astronaut, Incredible Mr. Limpet. To kids, Don Knotts was an acting genius. He was the fish. And in that theater, all the smells, old wood, salt air, fresh popcorn, gum all over the floor, rain on a tin roof. And I loved the movies because when the lights went down, the feelings came up. And in the movies, I never had to take care of anybody. The movies have always taken care of me. And so that, that kind of stuff like lives in my memory. And uh, we always like to welcome you no matter what emotional state you're in, no matter what state our listeners are in, here are emotional shout outs. If you've decided to call this the summer of love and have been singing the song Purple Haze to your cat, welcome. If you'd like to barbecue your leftover feelings from third grade, welcome. If you're trying to reimagine Burning Man in your bathtub, welcome. If you've mirrored your teletherapy session at a drive-in and your therapist is on a screen 300 feet high, welcome. If you go to a pool party in your pajamas and jump in anyway, welcome. If you eat your potluck dinner you're bringing to your friend's house, welcome. If you start to watch a horror movie and start screaming during the opening credits, welcome. 
And if you're beating yourself up even now, there's always a place for you right here on the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by You Over. You Over looks like an attractive pair of cool sunglasses, but with their photovoltaic lenses, they allow you to reimagine and actually do over the difficult, challenging, painful past experiences that you've had. Remember that art teacher in kindergarten that made fun of you because you couldn't draw? Well, you just drew a masterpiece on her face. Bullies, a crazy boss, an insane roommate in college, an abusive ex. You over lets you do you over the way you truly are. It's an inner funhouse. Make the past a real present to yourself with you over. Time once again, I want to bring in our special our special guest, uh, the person who actually has a license and should be doing this, my partner, Jennifer Kalari, otherwise known as the high priestess of the hippocampus, known as the overlord of oxytocin, known as the sultan of serotonin, and many other things. Jennifer, uh, first of all, we have something a little different today. We yeah. have we have both questions that listeners have written in because pe- people are apparently are very curious about why they feel so crazy. <laughs> and and we also have we have maybe some self questions, things that you okay. can ask yourself. All right. Um, and I notice how I accentuate the word self. Um, and at, at any rate, so so I thought we could get to them. They're from all over the world. Um, I think you have one that maybe you want I to do. Start with. I have a good yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to start with that one? Sure. Okay. So you know how we always talk about on the show that life is a bit like standing in a canoe, right? You're always trying to, you're wobbling. And you're always trying to find your balance and you're trying to find that center. So one um, listener, I think, was specifically talking about her kids. Um, Why do my kids rock the boat on purpose? (laughs) And wouldn't they rather have an easy life? So that's an interesting one, Ed, because... Do kids do it on purpose? They they kind of do. I mean, if, if for parents out there, it's it's parenting is really hard. It is. And the reason it's hard is because you're not actually a parent. You're actually a substitute frontal lobe, right? So your job as the parent is to be a prosthetic frontal lobe. So your job is to co-regulate with your child. So you're providing that brain function of, you know, inhibiting behavior, deleting out irrelevant behavior, motivating yourself, um, uh, organizing yourself, shifting attention, um, doing what's important, you know, editing out things that you shouldn't say out loud. And all of that work, you know, is a, is a very sophisticated part of the brain. And it, it takes 25 years to grow that part of your brain. So parents are actually the substitute part of that brain until their kids are about 25. So when kids are babies, you're regulating for them. When they're little kids, you're co-regulating with them. When they're teenagers, you're kind of co-regulating with them, but then letting them do it themselves a little bit. And then when they're they're old enough, they kind of do it on their own. And then they have their own child and become a frontal lobe for them. And that's kind of how it works. So the biggest thing I want parents to know is it's not really that they're doing it on purpose. It's they're trying to figure out life. They're trying to practice everything and, and do everything that they can as kids and experience all kinds of things that they're going to take into their adulthood. And your job is to inhibit uh, their negative behavior, organize them, motivate them, get them moving. That's why it's like pushing a boulder uphill with your kids every day, trying to get them to do things. And so parents have this idea that they should tell their kids to do something once and that's enough. They should learn. They've had a time out for that already. Why isn't that enough? And it's not enough because you're providing a constant and ongoing uh, brain function for them, which really doesn't help that much other than um, it's an explanation for it. But it, it's why parenting is so hard. Wow. Okay. So, so there's a scientific reason they're not plotting against you necessarily. Although, like it. although you know, there, there's, there is some, you know, they're trying to figure out the boundaries and sure. and, and the limits and test them and do things. And this is these are things that kids are supposed to do, right? I mean, that's yeah. part of growth. Yeah. And, and based on temperament, like some kids regulate more on their own. Like some kids are up in the morning and they brush their own teeth and they've highlighted with a yellow marker where you need to sign their, their form for their school trip. And they're very rare, but there are kids like that. But most kids live in time 
not out of time. So they live in the moment. They're not thinking, oh, traffic might be bad on a Monday morning. I should probably wrap this up and get ready. Like they don't think like that. That's our job to think like that. That's that's higher order thinking. That's executive functioning. Um, and even though you've done it every Monday, they will not make that connection. So part of it is that. And then the other is um, kids. How do I explain this? They get like addicted to adrenaline kind of. That's why when you have like you let your kids out of the car, they just go crazy and they're screaming and you're like, they're just discharging all of this energy. And it's so frustrating. It's why they bug their siblings. It's why they deliberately do things sometimes to get us going because, um, just before we get mad, they get a blast of adrenaline and adrenaline is a stimulant, like just like ADHD medication that lights the frontal lobe up and helps it do its job. So they actually feel better after they've driven us crazy. And we're, completely exhausted. My own daughter, Olivia, who's now 17 and a half, when she was about seven, she said to me, you know, mommy, I really like the feeling just before I get in trouble. And that's a pretty good explanation of how adrenaline feels. And if we flip out all the time and overreact and and parent from this place of sort of panic and anger, kids can kind of almost get addicted to that. That's how they regulate. Well, when mom flips out and dad loses it, that's how I know I've hit the wall. Now I've pushed them too far. Now I should behave. Right, right. I Yeah, I mean, there's a, I got, I like that you're just explaining like what's going on because it's, there is, there's science to this and there's also chemistry to this. And there's a physical element to this that has to do, you know, and I think if you're more aware of that, you can look at it differently. I think right. you can it look helps at you it. not take it so personally, right? Because sometimes it does. It feels so personal and hurtful, especially if you have teenagers. Um, and teenagers can be pretty mean. It can be really hard to take sometimes. And, you know, with what we talk about all the time is everyone's got their their worries and their concerns and you know, they're, they're stressed out and it, it can leave us so raw sometimes and our kids just, you know, go for it. And it's, it's awful sometimes. It really is. I also like a, a mantra that uh, I heard from our friend Rini Jane at gozen.com. And, and this is really a cool thing. Uh, the mantra is, they're not giving me a hard time. They're having a hard time. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. That's a great way to put it. Here are a couple, um, a few questions from our listeners. Allie from Toluca Lake, right here in in California. Allie in Toluca Lake. Dear Ed and Jennifer, I have a friend who means well, but is often telling me how to deal with my kids. She has strong opinions of what is right and wrong. How can I respond to her? It's driving me crazy. Hmm. Okay. So this is tricky because we're not, there's not a ton of information to go on. We don't know if this is like a best friend forever, if this is a, you know, if there's history here. Cause I mean, the thing about friendship really is, and as we get older in our lives, we, we need to be pickier about who we spend our time with. You have less friends, but they're quality friends. And if you have people who are adding to your life overall. I mean, there will be times where a good friend just really needs you and it's, and it's, you're putting more into the friendship for a while than they are, but then it evens out when they do something for you. But overall, if the trend is this person is negative and judgy and you kind of dread calling them and it's like, oh my God, they texted me, I have to answer them back. That's your body talking to you. And, and we've talked many times on the show at about nice versus kind and and sometimes keeping a friend around that we really in our body, we're just not getting a lot out of that friendship. It's just not feeling like it's adding to our lives significantly. It's kind of might even be feeling like a little bit toxic, even though they mean well, that may be a time to really evaluate either pulling back from that friend or, um, you know, discontinuing that friendship. Um, and that's not easy to do. Um, but I think, you know, we have so little time. You want to spend it with people who together you're enhancing each other's lives and helping them. So what was the question again? It just sounds like she's telling her how to parent. Yeah. She's telling her how to parent. And, you know, there are people, they, they have a right and wrong type of thing. Yeah. Like this is really what you should do with your kid. Right. Which is, um, yeah. You know, they have a right and wrong and wrong thing. And I, you know, I mean, I think. 
uh, I think that that the question really is like, what's the response? So I guess so. The guess the response is is if you if you're nice and you're like, oh, thank you, and okay, I'll try that. Then you're not even being nice to the person because you're giving them the idea that this is actually okay and it's not really crossing a boundary, but it is. Obviously, the listener is feeling, you know, a bit. <laughs> This doesn't feel right to her. So a kind response would be, look, I really appreciate everything you're doing. I love that you care for me and my kids. And I, you know, I do appreciate that. Um, But I've got this. These are my kids. And I I actually don't need uh, your advice on this. But thank you. I mean, and that's hard to do. But and it might take the person aback and they might be mad and not talk to them for a while. But that's actually a kind response. A to you, to the person, because they're setting a boundary and B, it's actually giving the other person an accurate readout. You know, we sort of figure ourselves out using emotional sonar. But if the person that we're communicating with is not giving us accurate feedback, they're pretending it's okay when it's not, um, how are they ever going to adjust, right? Then it's not even this person's fault. So I think the best thing is to just be really co- kind first, connect before correct. Hey, I love that you care about me. I love that you're putting a lot of thought into this and that you think about us. Um, I really do appreciate that, but I'm actually figuring some stuff out on my own. These are my kids and I've, I've got this and I'd appreciate if, you know, we didn't have these conversations anymore. A lot of people can't do that, but honestly, it's the best thing to do. Yeah. And, and the person might be upset. Yeah. The person might be upset and you're not responsible for how they're going to process it. You're trying to be you know, cognizant of what you're saying to them, mm-hmm. but they're going to have their own response and you don't have to fix it. Uh, and, you know, they may not talk to you for a day. Yeah, it could be longer. <laughs> but but if they're a real friend, exactly. if it's a real friendship, then you'll come back together and you'll figure it out. Yeah. And, and honestly, like sometimes this person is probably doing this to other people in their lives. So giving that accurate feedback is actually the right thing to do, as long as it's done with kindness. Right. right? And what happens too with really nice people is we're nice and we're nice and we're nice and then we snap. Will you mind your own effing business? And then the person is hurt and then the person is upset because then it came from a reaction. Then it came from a place of anger and fear and you know we don't do our best, <laughs> our best work that way. Well, you know, I'll I'll just do it with you like two seconds very quickly. Sure. Hey, you know, I got to tell you something. When you, you know, when you let him, you know, get over on you that way and you don't set limits, you know, it's really giving him a really bad message. And, you know, your kid is going to it's like who's in control here. You know what I mean? OK, well, first of all. You know what? Let me think about that for a second. Cause, and you've given me that advice before. And I know that it's coming from a place where you care about us and you care about my kid. And, and you're not, I mean, I'm going to, I'm hearing some of what you're saying, but you know, it's actually making it really hard for me when you tell me how to parent it. I'm having quite a reaction to it. And I, I really would like you to not do that anymore. I think it's better for our friendship. You've said what you need to say. How about we just not talk about parenting anymore? I'm getting in my car and I'm driving to Cuba. <laughs> um, no, I, that's, yeah. Well, that's, of course, you know, and it's like, you'll figure it out. You'll, you'll figure, figure it out. out. You'll yeah. figure it out. And sometimes it's just like, it feels like a lot of work. And the reason why it feels like a lot of work is because I'm not being honest. But that's exactly right. And you're not, that's even, the work. And you're not being honest with them either, right? Now, yeah. here's the other thing, though. This is the little thing that I always think is important for us as we maneuver through life. Everyone in our life can be a guide to us in some way. Whether we decide to keep them in our lives or not, they can all teach us something, right? So the other thing I want people to, you know, in similar situations to this is to ask themselves is, is there some truth there? Am I pushing that person away because there's pain? And sometimes where there's pain, there's truth and there's a lesson, And sometimes we're hearing something that we know, but we've been choosing to ignore. And I always say to people, if you hear the same thing from three or four different sources, completely different sources, not the same friend group, sit up and listen. It's time to listen, right? So don't just push people away who make you feel bad. Really be on on multiple levels saying, hmm, why does this person feel like they need to say this to me? Is there some truth here? Is there something that I know that I should be doing that I'm choosing not to do? And and that gives you a very rich, layered response 
to different um, experiences that we have with friends and family. And again, it's putting us in the position of being a student, being a learner, instead of being a victim. What we talk about on the show, Ed, that you really have to develop this ability. You have to build the neural hardware to rewire your brain so it will think about what you want it to think about. And it will shift attention to the things that you want it to think about. And I guess there's a few ways I would suggest doing that. Um, The simplest way, which we've talked about many times on the show, is when you're, let's say when you're going to sleep at night, pick a place. It's got to be a happy place. It can't be a place where you have traumatic memories or bad memories, but it could be a childhood home, could be a favorite amusement park or a cottage or a camp or something. And start to train your brain every night to wander through that place. Look down at your feet. It really helps when you're imagining to actually see your feet or see your hands. Um, you know, open the front door to wherever you're going, see your feet walking down the hall, and then start looking in the drawers and opening cabinets and walk into different rooms and remember what little knickknacks were on the table and the mantelpiece and open drawers and remember, oh, I remember that drawer. And then you're remembering, you know, certain things that are on the wall. And it sounds so... Um, benign, but what you're doing is you're getting your brain to practice doing what you want it to do. And you're also practicing imagination, which you can speak to it. We talk about imagination all the time. And in the beginning, you won't get very far. You'll start thinking about something else. And then you'll go, no, 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 I'm supposed to be back in my grandparents' home. And right, I was looking through you know, the, my, the little toy box that my grandmother used to have and go back there. And first of all, you'll be amazed at how much you can remember. That's incredible. It's a kind of a neat thing. The brain likes to collect patterns and it likes to con- collect similar thoughts. So this is a very familiar pattern for the brain anyway, but you're giving it something concrete to think about. Um, but, and so it's a great way to fall asleep, first of all, but the real reason I suggest this to my clients is it's really practicing thinking about the things that you want to think about. And as you do this, it doesn't take very long. It takes about a month uh, of doing it just about every night. A, you'll fall asleep faster. And B, you will find it gets easier and easier and you will be able to focus um, with much more precision. You'll be able to bring your brain back very quickly to what you were doing. It won't scatter as quickly. And you'll be able to use that hardwiring during the day when you want to switch from thinking about something negative to thinking about something neutral or something positive. Questions, solutions, thoughts, suggestions, whatever you want, connect with us. And you can do it at ed at makelightmedia.com. Ed, make at makelight, M-A-K-E-L-I-G-H-T, one word, media.com. Ed at makelightmedia.com. Send it in. We'll read it on the show and we'll answer you. And when I say we, I mean Jennifer. Now, I want to bring in our guests, and I'm very lucky to have them. These are two very good friends. They're just wonderful people, extremely talented, great careers, from Sex and the City to the Osbournes to Top Chef to being the current co-host of a terrific podcast called Culture Pop with Steve Mason, Sue Kalinske. And along with Sue, a great comedian, a great actress, shows like Pretty Little Liars, Modern Family, I'm Dying Up Here, Mad Men, and The Tonight Show many, many times, including the classic Tonight Show with Johnny Carson as well. And that's Kathy Ladman. So Sue Kalinske and Kathy Ladman, let's join our conversation about movies and mental health already in progress. Like I'm, I'm saying it like I'm broadcasting to somebody, but it really is just us. People of Earth. It's like it's a yeah. It's like all of a sudden it's War of the Worlds, but no, it's not really that. I'm in Chicago. Um. So now I wanted to talk to you guys about you know I thought we could talk a little bit about movies and mental health because movies saved my life. I know that. I'm sure that they I know that they oh, played a big role in your lives. Like I wouldn't be alive. Uh, I really wouldn't be because I thought I was a, a bad person. And the only place I could escape was the movies. So anytime I had a feeling of any kind, I would go to the movies when I was old enough to on my own. 
as a baby, I crawled to the movies. Um, <laughs> not, <laughs> but it was it was a little different. But but anyway, I, I, you, so tell me, like, like, because my grandfather used to say, you know, an immigrant from Russia, he would call it the moving pictures. The moving and you'd pictures, say it's, right, the, it's moving the moving pictures, pictures but it, when you think about it, it's moving pictures. It was supposed to be, and it's moving pictures. And that when you have an experience of a movie, you get moved. You, hmm. it's a moving experience, right? It it's is. supposed to be that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's supposed to be that. Well, I'll tell. I'd like to tell you a, an early memory that I have of going to the movies when I was old enough to go alone with a friend. We would walk down to. I grew up in Little Neck, Queens, and we'd walk down to the Little Neck Theater on Northern Boulevard. And I would never do this as, as an, as an adult, but I can't, I can't believe I did this as a kid. We would just show up whenever, whenever we felt like it, it didn't matter when the movie started. Let's say, <laughs> let's say it was cat blue. That was one of the movies we saw. We showed up, we sat down, we were watching what was the movie. Then we stayed for the next showing. And when we started to recognize stuff on the screen, we said, okay, let's go. I mean, I've never imagined doing that again to, oh. to like not go at the beginning of the story, but it didn't matter. That's how much I loved movies. It didn't even matter like that. I wasn't, it wasn't starting at the beginning. I just right. loved the movies. I loved being the, in a dark theater. I mm-hmm. loved the hugeness of it, the color of it. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was just magical to me. Yeah. Because I mean, when I was growing up, um, Wait, you know, hang on, a, Sue. Hang on, Sue. I don't want to stop you, but I but there's like some sound outside. Is there like a video sounds, game sounds, going on? Sounds no, like a, a plane. Loud airplane. Or... There's an airplane. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. okay, that's all right. Well, you don't have to be sorry. You're not flying the plane. Right. Are you? Kathy, are you at the airport? Are you at the airport? I am at the airport. Are you in a Cessna right now? <laughs> Do you have a scarf on? I do, and goggles and a leather cap. Oh man, is Snoopy, is Snoopy with you? Yeah. Snoopy, shh. If you see Told Amelia you. Earhart, would you tell her to just give a just let somebody know? Because let, 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 let us let us know you're okay. Just let us know you're okay. Just let us know. Why is everything a secret with you? Um. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so so yeah, it's the experience you were going to say, Sue. Go ahead. Yeah, like um, there was a, a, there were a couple of summers. I'm the youngest of five, so it was my sister and I, and then my three brothers, older brothers. They went to sleepaway camp. So during those summers, my parents took us to so many movies. And w- what I was about to say, because Kathy, you said something about the color. You know, uh, we grew up where it was black and I had a black and white TV. You know, right. until it became right. color. So to go to the movie theater. And see it in color was like insanely amazing. It was like, you know, well, I mean, I ate acid years later, so I can't really give that analogy when I was six. <laughs> but, but, but I remember um, the movie theater. You don't theaters eat your acid, my- you don't get your dessert. <laughs> I'm sorry. With, yeah, with, with your okay. goobers. Yeah. The goobers, that's right. Goobers and assinets. Um, <laughs> so the movie theaters good, good in my neighborhood yeah. just had like, I guess like standard screens, but the Syosset movie theater in Long Island, New York. Yes. That theater had a, a much bigger screen. I remember I mean, that theater. I guess, what was it like in Sense Around or whatever they called it? Or Cinerama. We, Cinerama. Cinerama. And we saw, uh, you know, um, The Sound of Music, um, mm. How the West Was Won. Oh, um, wow. Carousel. Um, West Side Story. So we got to see all these big movies on the big, big screen, you know, with amazing audio. Hello? And what that happened? was, you know, the beginning of me. I can't like, hear you guys. My, my introduction to going to movies. Hello? Wait. Kathy, did you did, did something happen? I stopped hearing. Is it too. something we. What happened, Kath? I just stopped hearing you. Oh. Do you hear her now? I do hear her now. Okay, that's okay. good. Okay, I'm good. sorry. No, that was once like a, the, once that again. Was, I apologize for something that I'm. I have no control over. That that was okay. like the, that was like the, a mir- the miracle that, worker. That that's a whole different show, Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking, we'll, movies. We'll, we're talking we'll, movies now, and we'll talk about that. I was go ahead, Sue. Keep going. No, no, no. So, so that was I was saying that 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 was my introduction <clears throat> to uh, to going to movies. You know, and yeah. I, I don't know. I was probably like six. I guess it was, I was six, six, seven, and eight. And then the following year I went to summer camp, but, but those three summers were just magical. 
Um, oh, wow. you know, didn't have to what share anything, time. you know, it was just my sister and I, my brothers were gone. So it was only two kids in the house. And, you know, we, wow. we were very spoiled those summers. Wow. Oh, and it wasn't, ex- it wasn't experience. Like. It was a pure experience as was going to the drive-in. Mm. Oh, yes. We would go in yep. our pajamas. We would, we would mm-hmm. be in the, in our pajamas in the back seat. Yeah. And then sometimes and when see- we would drive from my grandmother's house, we could see the drive-in on the way home and we would try to guess what the movie was by it. And <laughs> that's, oh, that's funny. That's, that's funny. great. But I, yeah. we were not allowed to buy snacks at the movies. My father was very cheap and we had to bring our own snacks to the movies. Oh, so, and so did know, you bring like bugles? Did you bring bugles? Big bags of peanuts in, sh- in shells, that kind of thing, or a candy <laughs> yeah. bar. Oh yeah, that's okay. You, Did you ever go on the on the roof on the roof of the car? Like when we go in the summers, we used to, oh. you know, sometimes we'd sleep on the roof of a station wagon. Oh my god, no, <laughs> never did that. That sounds dangerous. Well, my my father was evil Knievel. Oh, uh, that must it was have been the Knievel family. It was the, it was very <laughs> he was a daredevil, and he was like, yeah, I know you can sit in the car, but get on the roof, and I'm going to go a hundred <laughs> miles an hour and see see what movie is playing. It's um, like like vacation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> with the with the mother on the roof. With the mother on the roof, go right through. No, so so you know the, the the movies. The thing about movies is, of course, it's it's like help. There's like there's Air either an again. ice. It's either an ice cream truck or it's Clarence from the movie It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> it sounds like um, like at a like a, an amusement park. It sounds like a carousel or something. It's a carousel. It's haunting. It's like wind chimes, <laughs> and 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 it's wind chimes. The, you want me? I'm going to close the windows. You know, this is something that if you're listening, what happens on the show quite a bit is we have a foley guy. And the Foley man comes oh, in, and I will just I, I will just text him during the show, and I'll say, "Can you just give me Can you just give me wind chimes from 1954?" I just wanted to go through if there were movies for different emotions, if there were a mental health movie festival, and it was mm-hmm. it was turn of classic movies, and you have Ben Mankiewicz coming on, and Ben would be saying, "Tonight we're looking at movies for different." Godfather Two is my favorite movie, mm-hmm. and. It's such a good movie that, of course, it's one of those that no matter what, and it, and it fe- you feel like you're taken care of. You feel like you're going to be fine, and whatever crap you're dealing with, it can go away because you get into the movie immediately. It brings you in no matter where you come in. But I went. To, I used to skip school almost every day in high school, wow. and I would I would go yeah. to downtown Boston. Because that's where I felt like the most comfortable. And I would sit in this theater and this old theater, the Saxon in Boston. And one day it was usually like me and one other person. Like nobody went. To, who goes to the movies at 11 in the morning on a week on a Wednesday? You well, and was, some alcoholics. <laughs> truants, truants and alcoholics. <laughs> pretty much. That was my crowd. And so and so here I am in the theater. There's nobody in the theater. And all of a sudden a guy comes up. And he's a flasher. He's wearing he's wearing a stereotypical trench coat. He has nothing on underneath. Mm. And he comes up beside me <gasps> and he opens his coat. <gasps> How old are you? I, I was like 14. Oh my maybe God. 13. Okay, okay, and, okay. And I, the, I just and, I'm sorry, I have to interject because you sure. said that you went to the movies almost every day during the yeah. school year. Yeah. So at what point after seeing this flasher, did you continue going to the movies every, every day, day at that same because theater? Because I was a flasher. No, no. So <laughs> we both had our headlights on. No, I was a flasher. And so, but but really what happened is the I'm watching Godfather 2 on the big screen. And the movie was so good that I paid absolutely no attention to the guy. Oh, my God. That must have been so disappointing for him. <laughs> oh he went away. He went away. He couldn't compete. And he couldn't. You cannot compete with The Godfather, too. So what he did was he put an 8x10 of Marlon Brando on his penis. And the next time he, he flashed, <laughs> then he got he some did. attention. He did. He had a picture of Al Pacino sitting in a oh, chair. Oh, Al Pacino, not Marlon Brando. That's right. And he said, every, right. every time they pull me out, I have to go right back in. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> or something, something like that. Uh, uh, but, but at any rate, at any rate, so that's just like an example. I mean, there's so many examples of like movies. But for you, when you're, if you have depression, if you're sad, if you're down, mm-hmm. is there a go-to movie? Is there something that's sort of like I know that this will take care of me, and here's why. Well, I, I have I have many, and this was a situation that happened when I was with Kathy. Um, I don't. I think it was like two years ago. I was going through a very very difficult time. I had like like just like high anxiety, like really bad. And um, we, I had I was doing. It was in the beginning of when I was doing my podcast with Steve, and the homework was to go see this movie Dumbo. Right. right? Oh, so yeah. Kathy and I, and it was, it was um, at uh, what is it? Um, where was it at the? Um, what was, was it at the West Side Pavilion? West Side Pavilion. So it was all these small theaters, and uh, the movie starts playing. And now look, I was feeling really, really shitty to begin with, but as the movie, we were maybe fifteen minutes in, and I'm like squirming in my seat, and I am like, Kathy, we have to leave. I, mm-hmm. I think I'm having a nervous breakdown. <laughs> I cannot stay here. <laughs> so I remember leave, this very well. Yes. We leave and um, I'm like crying. I mean, it was horrible. And uh, I couldn't even drive my car. Tom, her husband had to come and get, um, had to drive my car. And, and then anyway, we get back to her house and we watch um, Defending Your Life. Oh. Yeah. And that made everything okay. It's such a wow. great movie. You use defending your life to chase the stink of mm-hmm. Dumbo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 my anxiety, which was just so overbearing. Now, what was it? Uh, was it anything about the movie, or was it just something that you were experiencing at the time? Like, what? Where did it come from? Well, I um, I had a podcast the next day, and I felt like I don't think I can do it because mentally, I just don't think I can. And then when I was watching the movie, it was so depressing. Oh, God. And, and it was just dark. And film, just the way it was filmed, too. It was just, yeah. it was very dark, like, just And we were in this little theater. It, it, remember, we were in a tiny theater with, it, it was not like a, it didn't make you feel like you were in a movie theater. It made you feel like you were in a stranger's den. Yes, like we were being held captive. Yes, you know? it like was, we were it was, kidnapped. Yeah. And, and, and it was just, the movie was just so disturbing and it just heightened how, um, how anxious I was. And then I thought, you know, oh, I don't know. I don't even know if I can do this podcast anymore. So all I'm thinking about while I'm watching this horrible movie is just this, my state of mind. And am I, and I had felt this way, like maybe three years before. And I felt like, oh no, I'm going down this rabbit hole again. And, you know, here I have this like great opportunity to be doing this podcast, which is something I really wanted to do. And I felt like, I don't think I'm going to be capable of doing it. And I had to cancel, but I couldn't even, I couldn't even call the, like, um, the people to cancel it. I, I had to call a friend who was booking it at the time and she called Steve. And, and I, I think it was just, it was, it was a combination, but the movie did not help. The movie didn't help. Dumbo digs you a grave. He's, he's uh, and he can never, he never forget. <laughs> Dumbo never digs, forget. You, digs a grave. That was, a, <laughs> Dumbo, that was the sequel. The sequel. But the funny thing is you go, you go, well, first of all, those feelings, those things that come into your head, they're all it's all like about stuff in the future. And it's all the worst. The picture is I kid. There's no way I can do it. It's going to be awful. It's happening later. And now I've got the pressure of that. Right. And so we can get our you can get yourself into a state where you literally are paralyzed. You can mm-hmm. you can paralyze yourself with these thoughts. But we never learned that. Oh, it might have something to do with what I'm thinking. Like nobody, nobody ever said to us or trained us and said, well, wait a minute, this feels like crap. What am I thinking about? Mm-hmm. And you go back and it's like, oh, I'm telling myself I'll never be able to do this. Right. And, and so it just compounds it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, but the feeling is coming from you. you usually it's coming from what you're thinking, but we don't right. associate it with that. Right. We don't right. ever it, say, well, I wonder where this is coming from. It's coming from inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we trace the thought. Have you checked the children? Right. 
or you chase it, the, yeah, or it's the temple. But, you know, it was coming from the temple, which is my body. Um, and I think what really freaked me out too was the fact that I had been there years prior, and it was the worst I had ever felt in my life. And mm. and now that it was coming back, I I j- it scared me. It really you scared were, you me. You were just you were you were imagining that it was going to be the same thing. You were projecting yes. that it was going to be the same thing again. Same thing, right? Yeah, right. And now, and now you chase it with you chase the, those feelings with a movie called Defending Your Life, which is which one is of the all best. which is the best, and it's all about facing fear. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, and accepting fear. So oh, I love that movie. So then you can move through. Do you have a moment from that movie? Is there some, is there a moment that you remember or some uh, scene in particular? Cause there's so many good ones and Rip Torn, you know, he ends up getting uh, the Larry Sanders show because from of that, that movie. Right. Yeah. right. Um, I mean, to me, one of the funniest moments that really, you know, that, that, that really softened the blow for me was when, uh, you know, Meryl Streep's life is just like so perfect and his <laughs> life is just the polar opposite. Yeah. And, um, and then of course, you know, when Buck Henry, you know, says that he, he, yeah, and, and he fills in and, and, uh, and, uh, was it D- Dina? What was her name? Um, not Dina. Oh. No, it was, um, uh, you know, um, oh, geez, well, I can't believe it's um, Lee Grant. Lee Grant. Grant thanks. So Lee Grant, you know, is so perfect at her job. And then Buck Henry said, they said, all right, well, do you, do you want to, you know, you have like a rebuttal to this? And he said, no, no comment. <laughs> and poor <laughs> Albert Brooks is just like, like you've got to be goes, kidding me. You have nothing. Says, oh, you, have you nothing are good. <laughs> yeah, he said, you are good. <laughs> you are good. I'm fine. I knew you would be. I'm fine. You know, He's fine. You know, um, that quotes from that, we have so many quotes from that movie that we often repeat in our daily lives. And the other day I was feeding my dog Chappie. Uh, I give him some sweet potatoes in his food and I'm, they're wrapped up in aluminum foil. And I'm, you know, I talk to him while I'm doing it. I go, I said, okay, I'm going to wrap it up. Okay. I'm going to wrap it up, Psst, wrap it up. And that I love, I love when Rip Torn, when, um, when uh, Rip Torn says that to when Albert Brooks is going on and on and on about something and making, comp- making, making a, his case worse and worse and worse. And he, at one point he just says, Psst, wrap it up. Wrap it up. <laughs> wrap it up. <laughs> Still don't get the big brain bit, do you? Um, <laughs> but, you know, but, but for me, I mean, any, anything that Albert Brooks has ever done will completely take me out of my head. And if I'm feeling down anything, I mean, you know, lost in America, yeah. you know, I mean, Modern you know, romance. he, he, Run romance. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he plays those pathetic loser characters to such perfection that mm. you can only feel better about yourself. Yeah. And, and he, and the other thing is he can actually hold the screen and not say anything. You can watch him walking down a hallway mm-hmm. and it's actually, not only is it funny, it's somehow interesting. He, he's really, he's really, he, and he, he can really act. I mean, that's the other thing about him. He's incredibly funny, but he can really act. Remember um, in, I, in, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, in modern romance, when he's doing the, you know, the foley in the in the in the film, <laughs> and and he replaces the um, George Kennedy's running down the hallway with yeah. a different sound, and he and he's you know he says to these two union guys, he goes, uh, "What do you think?" And he goes, and when one guy says, "I think you saved the picture," <laughs> I think you saved the picture. <laughs> can you queue up Hulk running? Do you have Hulk running? Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> PD. Listen, we're going to go away next weekend. We're, I'm going to spin you around. It's going to be like the price is right now. <laughs> price is right now. I'm going to spin you around. It's going to be like the price is right. Ellen, she doesn't know who I am. I I, just, I love, she knows me. I, I love, you know, all right, we were just, what Shana loves, uh, my daughter loves real life, mm. which is mm, yeah. like mm-hmm. a movie that was like 20 years out of its time. Mm-hmm. And, yes. You know. Uh, we only, they're only, this is the Ettenhauer 3000 cameras. They're all, only five of them were ever made. Only four of them ever worked. We have three of those. And it's like, you know, it's, it, there are a million, if I, it, he's, he's going to the, the, the Institute for Human Behavior in Boulder, Colorado. He says, if I were, if I had gone to school for medicine or had been graded more fairly, 
<laughs> He's so quotable. Oh, or have you graded more fairly? Oh, um, and it's, it's just his cadence. His cadence yeah. is so brilliant. Yeah, yeah. There's nobody. There's nobody better. But we, of course, we're talking here with Kathy Ladman, Sue Kalinsky about we're friends talking about movies and and emotion and memorable things and how movies are almost they they really become therapy for you, it, it, and it becomes a nice bridge because if you don't have these things, it's just an assault and it can be very difficult. But Sometimes the movies can actually be very therapeutic and often are. And then it, and then you remember these lines like over and over again. Oh, my God. So, well, you know, well, go one, of the, one of the movies that I love uh, to watch when I'm depressed is The Sunshine Boys. Oh. Mm-hmm. So wow. brilliant. Mm-hmm. So brilliant. Wow. I mean, Walter Matthau, whom I believe was 49 when he did that movie. I have to check, but I, I think I remember hearing that he was 49. He went. One of my favorite things is when he's sitting in his apartment at in in the um, Ansonia ho- Hotel that's now was you know like on Seventy Third Street or something, and um, he hears um, the uh, like the sound of a tea kettle whistling on mm-hmm. on. Um, he has the sound of a tea kettle whistling um, in the kitchen and he answers the phone and he says, hello, hello. And, he, and then he realizes what it is. He goes, never, he says it into the phone. He goes, never mind. It's the tea. <laughs> <laughs> oh he talks my to God. nobody and tells him, never mind. <laughs> never mind. It's the tea. <laughs> Uncle Willie, it's Ben. Uncle Willie, it's Ben. Ben, is that you? Uh, it's like, Uncle Willie, it's Ben. Get the kid to come up and jiggle the handle. It's uh, it, my mother. My mother loved that movie. Oh, God. Ow, we went to that movie a bunch ow, of times. Come closer. Come closer. <laughs> closer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great. Uh, for for people listening, it's like what we're talking about is the movies that we kind of grew up with or had, you know, or young adults uh, watching these movies. And you have the your own movies from your generation, whatever that whatever that is. But one thing about I think about our generation, maybe it's uh, maybe it's different. I'm not sure. Is that we watched movies that came before us, mm-hmm. and it was kind yes. of part of your part of your thing like it didn't have to be the movie that just came out last week well you know why it's because when we grew up we were watching tv and a lot of what was on tv was older movies right i mean we had we had the you know the 4 30 movie in the afternoon the abc movie we had million dollar movie we had late night movie and they were all older movies right right Right. that's what you've run up yeah like first run movies showing Right. Like I remember um, my dad um, didn't really travel much for work, but he happened to be away for a couple of days. And I was just lying in bed in my parents' bed with my mom. And um, the Late Late Show came on and it was um, Marjorie Morningstar. And my mother was so excited. She was like, you have to stay up and watch this with me. This is one of the greatest movies. And um and, you know, whenever I see that movie, I mean, it's just so nostalgic to me. Mm. And I, you know, I ended up going to summer camp, for sleepaway camp for many, many years, which was thematic for the film. And the camp that I went to was on the same lake that they filmed the movie. Oh, so that was wow. pretty cool. Wow. Amazing. And, yeah. and, and, and the experience of watching it with your mom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the, and, and seeing her excited, mm-hmm. like this is a thing for her. This has a meaning for her. Uh, that's the, you know, that's the thing is like sometimes a parent, like my, my friend, Jimmy, my best friend, Jimmy Lane lived down the street and his father loved the movie, the hustler with mm-hmm. Paul Newman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would sleep over Jimmy's house every other Friday night. He'd sleep over my house. And this guy, Mr. Lane, he was such a sweet guy. We, we might've been like eight or nine he wakes us up in the middle of the night. He's like, it's like 11, 30, 12 o'clock. He says, you guys got to see The Hustler. You have to see this movie. Now we're nine. And, and this movie is one of the most depressing movies that's ever been made. It's also a great movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, but he pulls us out and he's like, look at the way that guy, he's beautiful. And, and, he, and he, this is how he's talking to us. And, and then he falls asleep in a rocket chair. 
<laughs> and we're staying up watching Piper Laurie and Paul Newman in a bus station. And we're kids. When you were a kid, you're seeing things that like today you you wouldn't like it's not you're not supposed to see it. But in those days, they had no rating or no awareness of like, maybe this kid shouldn't be seeing Clute. He's 14. Oh, right. oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Not only do you have to watch it, you have to have a cigar and uh, and some scotch. And I'm not kidding about stuff like that, because when I was growing up, my parents, you know, they and all of their friends were like they were, they were just a bunch of lunatics. They were very, very funny. Um, they love to drink. They all smoke. They smoke cigars, cigarettes. Um, and there were times where I was in elementary school and I remember, um, you know, one of their friends saying, well, take a puff, take a puff of a cigarette. Let's see if, if, you, if you know how to do it, if you know oh how to inhale. God. Yeah, they would do stuff like wow. that. Or they give you, I remember, you know, I'm drinking a little whiskey, like if I had a toothache or something, they would give me a little whiskey, you know? Oh my so, God. You know, hence I, you know, I smoked pot when I was in, you know, sixth grade going into seventh grade. Wow. We we have a term for those people today, enablers. (laughs) But nobody, I mean, but, but so many other people did that and never really thought that it was that big of a deal. I mean, they thought it was cute. Yeah, they thought it was cute. That's oh the thing. God. They were trying. They were trying to be cute. They mm-hmm. were trying to be cute, and the culture was that way. You know, everybody was smoking. Everybody was. I mean, anybody on. T- you know, every guest on the Tonight Show in 1967 is was smoking. smoking, and as including Johnny was smoking. Yeah, they're oh, all yeah. smoking. Some yeah. are on fire. They're smoking. It's a uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I don't think there's you know there was a period in my life where there's not one picture of my parents where they didn't have cigarettes in their mouth, in their hand. My mm-hmm. oldest brother, he's 11 years older than me. And I was like a baby, you know, when he was bar mitzvah. And, um, <laughs> there's a picture, there's, there's a, there's a picture of them walking in with my brother and on the outside hands, my father has a cigarette, my mother has a cigarette. And then, you know, and they're holding hands with my brother with the other hand, but they both have <laughs> cigarettes in their wow. hands as they're walking him in to light the candle. <laughs> oh my God. They couldn't it's even wait. They couldn't wait. It's a no. trifecta. It's like, what are we in Raleigh, North Carolina? What's going on here? What are we in a t- yeah. tobacco yeah. tobacco road? Right, and they smoke, um, and, and and then they smoked everywhere. They smoked in their bedroom. They smoked in the car. They smoked in yeah. the car with the windows up. Oh yeah. my was, god! This is what this is what the culture was. The only thing that was streaming in those days was smoke and pain. That's all. That, that's what was streaming in our culture. Um, smoke and pain. Um, well, you know. So, but all these memories are very, you know, they're very evocative. And my my family would, uh, they would, you know, they do commentary. You know, if you'd be watching like, you know, you'd be not It's a Wonderful Life in those days, but like Peyton Place or some other Mm -hmm. show, they all had comments. So my mother would be like, you know, she's supposed to be wonderful. She's a philanthropist. (laughs) I was reading about her. (laughs) And, you know, she's she's wonderful, you know, and they've been married a long time. And it was like it was like and this is what you so you had this little soundtrack. And then we had this habit in my family of when we would all go, well, we didn't go all out together that much, but when we would, we'd go to a movie. It was like the saddest movie. Like we went mm-hmm. to see ordinary people as a family. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Calvin, wear the I blue shoes and the other suit. Oh, Calvin. God. Um, I, and, that's you a, know. such a great movie, though. I mean, that's a movie that I like to watch when I, when I want to cry. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's good for therapy, right? That's a movie that would would. But absolutely I mean, it's a good cry. cry at the end. At the end, when 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 Donald uh, Sutherland's voice breaks when he says, mm-hmm. "I love you too," that always yeah. gets me. Oh wow, wow! Mm-hmm. I love you. And Dinah Dinah Manoff, you know, yeah, sure, oh. we're going to get together. It's going to be great. And wow. you know, she's headed let's for. Say, let's make it the best Christmas. Yeah. She's headed for headed for death, pretty much. And, and you know, and the casting was just so brilliant. I mean, Mary Tyler Moore playing this cold-hearted, um, you know, woman. I mean, it was just like whoever would expected her to be in a role like that, and she was. She's it was chilling. I mean, it, it, oh, I, when she she gives um she has that speech with Donald Sutherland where she just reads him the riot act. Yeah. And he just like cowers like, oh, my God, it was just so painful. 
So yeah, she, I remember she did a great job when she when they when she when she's uh, in the kitchen with her mother and you hear this uh, this plate drop, you know, and it mm. and and, um, and she was holding it together. She says it's a clean break, and it's such a great metaphor for what's going mm. on in the family, mm. mm-hmm. right? Because everybody is holding on so tightly, mm-hmm. yes. and they need to break. Everybody's holding on so tightly, and th- these moments stay with you. You remember them; they're so oh, yeah. evocative, and so, and sometimes they they help you. Sometimes they sometimes they actually aid you. Like, I mean, I think the moment from To Kill a Mockingbird. I'll never forget this line in my whole life. Stand up, honey. Your father's passing. Oh, yes. The -hmm. whole balcony stands up because Mm -hmm. he had stood up for what was right. Mm -hmm. And when he passes under, they make Scout stand up. They make his daughter stand up Mm -hmm. because he's a great man. respect, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Stand up, honey. Your father's passing. And they just Mm -hmm. let it sit. They let that moment sit there. And I was like, and I've said that to people in my life, but they don't know what I'm talking about. It's like, (laughs) there's no father. There's no balcony. Uh, I'm at an ice cream store and people don't know what I'm talking about. But I keep the line with me for great occasions. Now, now, now I have to say, so, so if there's, if there's a moment uh, for you, if there's a time capsule moment or there's something, let me put it this way. Um, if you're, if you're really, um, if you really want to laugh, you, you mentioned the sunshine boys, Kathy, Yes. but what, what do you do? I mean, we're all comics. Is there a movie or a moment or a thing that's like the surefire thing for you? That's like, this is really, I know that this will make me laugh. Um, a midnight run. Makes me laugh. And also, oh, oh, King of Comedy with his cardboard cutouts and, and, and his mother is yelling downstairs and he's going, he's, you know, first he's interviewing his guests and then he goes, Ma, Ma, (laughs) he's a grown man and he's downstairs and is living in his his mother's basement. It's, it's just, it's just hilarious. Well, Sandra Bernhardt, of course. Oh, she was so great in that. No, I met her. After she had filmed it, but before it came out, that's when I started at Catch a Rising Star. Wow. I was at the uh, in the belly room at the comedy store when she auditioned for De Niro and Martin oh, Scorsese. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That was wow. unbelievable. So I guess for me, it would be Night of the Opera, the stateroom scene. Oh, oh God. I mean, that to me never disappoints. I mean, I mm. laugh hysterically every time I see it. Um, and I guess, I mean, there's so many, but, um, uh, Annie Hall, the split screen oh, with the Jewish and yes. the Gentile families. Yes. <laughs> wife has diabetes. Sure. Defend him. <laughs> no Moscow, he had a coronary. She needs but to steal. steal. She, she has steals. to steal. Because <laughs> she's, but she steals. She's oh, from Harlem. If she's not going to, who is she going to steal from if not us? <laughs> and then of course. And then, of course, Dwayne in the car taking them to the oh, airport. Oh my God, the best edit ever! The best edit ever. <laughs> the cut to the car. Oh God! But the way he leans his head down, he says, I, "It's great, Dwayne. I have to, I have to go now because I'm due back on the planet Earth." Um, I have to go. That's great, Dwayne. Thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> how about how, how about the movie um, uh, "To Be or Not to Be" with Jack Benny? Oh, you another that? classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Carol, Carol mm-hmm. Lombard, is it? Yeah, Carol yes. Lombard. So wow. they call me concentration camp Earhart. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime there are Nazis, there's always Oh, my God, there's fun. always comedy. Always <laughs> Right comedy. around the corner, right around the corner. Um, <laughs> and it goes on. Thanks to my guests, Kathy Ladman and Sue Kalinsky, such great friends, so funny, and such a pleasure to be with. You can listen to Sue on her podcast with Steve Mason. It's terrific. Celebrities, big, big, big name, celebrities. And uh, that's with Steve Mason, and it's called Culture Pop, the Culture Pop Podcast. Look for that wherever you get your podcasts. Listen in. Really tremendous show. And uh, if you're heading to Vegas soon, you're going to see Kathy Ladman. She's going to be in Las Vegas for a while doing stand-up. And uh, check Kathy out for sure. One of the best shows you're going to see. And also, thanks, as always, to the great 
Jennifer Kalari for all of her help, all of her insight, all of her tools. And you can find out more about Jennifer and her work at ConnectedParenting.com, ConnectedParenting.com. And, of course, you can listen to our show at MakeLight, M-A-K-E-L-I-G-H-T, Media.com. You can see all the show notes. Everything happens there. And you can hear us on our new network, which is the Believe, B-L-E-A-V, dot com, Believe Network, B-L-E-A-V, Com. Next week, a brand new show. want to thank you all for listening. Keep coming back at Works If You Work It. I'm Ed Krasnick for Jennifer Kalari. See you soon.